Hey, it's Jem. I wanted to share with you that on my way here, I saw two different people vomit outside. It's springtime. <laughs> That's how you know people are starting to feel better. It's because they're vomiting outside instead of inside. Right, the sun's out. Let me go out here. You know, I one time had a guy hit on me while he was vomiting in an alley. Oh, no. He like, <laughs> hey, babe, what are you? And I was like, dude, you need to get your life together. I just looked at him and I was laughed and I was like, are you kidding me right now? Like, <laughs> this is not stop hot. Stop vomiting and then hit on bitches. What like, the hell? what the fuck are you doing with your life, man? Hi, my name is Jolie and I've been watching a lot of TikTok and I've recognized now that everybody on TikTok is like 27, unless they're 45. <laughs> That's true. That's it's funny. Yeah, TikTok is crazy. The algorithm is crazy. I lose my life there. Mine's all just like O's. <laughs> Yeah, I got a lot of hoes too, but my hoes are all funny. Yeah, most of mine are too. My hoes are like hilarious. Like they're so pretty, it's alarming. And I'm definitely, I feel very uh, inadequate. Filters, baby. I feel so inadequate. It's not all filters because I'm sorry. Some of these, some of these ladies, A, you can see what filters they're using and it's clear that they're not using any filters that I can see. Unless they put them on like secretly beforehand, screen record and then drop it in. I'm shameless. Truth. I'm just like, yeah, I'm using a filter. Yeah, fuck I have you. acne. Whatever. <laughs> Like even Doja Cat, she like posts from bed and she's, she's like, yeah, I know what I look like. Let's move on. And I'm like, what? You look beautiful. What, like an angel? <laughs> like so much prettier than I ever look in the morning. I look like a hobgoblin in the morning. <laughs> Shut your fucking mouth. Get out of here. Or, oh my God. So here's the other aspect of my TikTok. It's just uh, absurd shit. Like there's this one where this, it's a, originally it was a video of a guy like digging through mud and he's like pulling the mud back. And then it was a response of a guy being like, oh, what's that? Some mud? Uh, there's probably nothing in there. Oh, okay. Well, what is that? Turtle. But then everyone responds to it and they're all like responding to each <laughs> other in the empty space. I'm just like, what the fuck? People are so amazing. Mm. What? What is that? I don't know. Squishy. Is that mud? Maybe. Mm. Could be. Mud. Mud. Oh. Creature in the mud? No. No. Nah, no creatures in mud. <gasps> Big creature. Wow. There is a creature in the mud. Looks like it. Big what is creature. it? Turtle. Wait, you sent me this. No, maybe you didn't. <laughs> you probably just saw it. Yeah, I must it. have just seen it. Because it's like the newest one. It's so absurd. You're like, why? Why though? For what? I but don't it's know. Funny. Right? I love it. <laughs> I love it so much. People are mean there though. People are super mean. Yeah, there are like trolls like no other. Yeah. Yesterday, someone called me a bag of bones. You're like, technically we're all bags of bones, sir. I was like, excuse me, sir. It is International Women's Day. Like, <laughs> can you like hold off on your insults until tomorrow, please? <laughs> you're like, technically you're a bag of bone and a meat sack. I'm like, why are you following me to like abuse me? Like, I don't get it. That is literally what it is. I think people just want to see if they can get a reaction from you. Yeah, I think that is a lot of it. I mean, I hate to keep bringing it back to this, but it is narcissism. It's like, I can't regulate my emotions. I've got to make somebody feel something that I feel so that I can feel better. Yeah. I would say though, like nine times out of 10, when I confront trolls, they apologize. 
Yeah, because they know that it's fucked up. Yeah. Narcissists know that what they're doing is fucked up. Yeah, they're like, I'm sorry. I don't know why I said that. Or Like, yes, you do. You're an asshole. Right? Sorry. I'm glad I could give you some sort of thrill today that you <laughs> hurt my feelings. <laughs> I'm sorry that your life has come to this. Right? Where you insult strangers on the internet for your own peace of mind. It's alarming. Right? I think so too. <laughs> Especially to like talk shit about someone and say that they're like garbage. It's like, but you're mean. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah, like who's more garbage? Is it me or is it the person posting on somebody's TikTok telling them that they're trash and insulting them? Right? Like I'm pretty sure that's worse. Yeah, that's, that's, I feel like that's the limit for me. Like if you want to call somebody else garbage, you better not be shit posting them on TikTok (laughs) because my friend, that's pathetic and stupid. (laughs) Right? I think so too. It's very strange. Yeah, the, the internet is insane. It's like a cesspool, but then you find these like pockets of like magic. Right? I know. I love people. I know. Like the, the lady who has the farm and she has like the horribly aggressive emu named Karen. I've never seen these. Your for your page is a lot. (laughs) My for you page is like, it's all science and also like animals. Animals, mental health. Mental health. Like cute ladies saying things like, "Mm, guys who think that I wear too much makeup can suck my big cock. (laughs) Do you follow, what's her name? Chrissy, Chrissy chick or something. She wears like huge platforms and she gives like positive messages. She's like, you're going to take the world on today, sluts. And I think I might be following her. her. She's wonderful. I'm actually going to look I actually looked from my phone and then I just found these these three remotes. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Hello. Honestly, I think it's camp when guys are like, the reason I have trust issues is because women wear so much makeup. It's all fake. And it's like, whoa, Colin, (laughs) the reason I have trust issues is because a lot of you guys have hit me before. (laughs) Give me a break. I, uh, there was a TikTok where it was just a woman saying something to the effect of, Women, what's one thing you wish men would do? And then another woman comes on and she's like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> she's like, go out and build a patio. Make yourself useful. <laughs> and then she just like, it's like all her from this angle, like under her chin, like shut the fuck uh, up. <laughs> so her name is Christy Tlapeka and she's wonderful. She has 4.2 million followers. This is her. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's just the best. I love her so much. There's one. She goes to build a bear and she's like, I'm going to make a new gay bear. And then when it's getting stuffed, she's like, it's getting stuffed. I'm kind of (laughs) jealous. Oh, Oh my God. Uh, Speaking of getting stuffed. Uh, there is no, there is no good way to segue. Are you about to this. stuff my brain I'm with about facts? To stuff your brain with facts. <laughs> this is a. So I, I had said that I wanted to do an episode on how the Cold War never really ended, and then, well, and then the war happened. Then things, things started happening. I don't know if you know about this, but Russia kind of went all in mm-hmm. with a lot of threats that they had been like low key making. So uh, I'm not going to talk about that because, to be frank everybody's talking about it. Yeah. I don't think I have anything to offer. I'll probably talk about like Vladimir at some point, but there's just so much information and yeah. so much is happening. That I feel so, be it's useless. so like right now. Yeah. We are not going to do anything about Russia today. Okay. Because Russia is like a whole, uh, I was about to say bag of worms. It's not, it's a can of worms. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bag. It's a jug of worms. It's just a, a flask of worms. <laughs> a flask of caterpillars. <laughs> So I'm not going to do that. I am going to talk about China, but it's going to be in a couple of parts. 
So the first thing that we're going to talk about today on another episode of This Old Narcissist. This Old Narcissist? Yeah. I love that. <laughs> uh, it's going to be Mao Zedong, which people probably know as like Chairman Mao. And we're going to talk about the rise of the Communist Party because when we go into the next episode, which is talking about Xi Jinping mainly, like some of some of the other, you know, paramount leaders, but primarily Xi, I want to kind of call back to some of the ways that he is alarmingly similar to Mao. And okay. to do that, like I started writing this and I was like, wait, I'm having too many callbacks. There's too many callbacks. I can't just keep... So I was like, so did right, you make just, a Venn diagram? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like me and then like charts. <laughs> like, okay, I got to like consolidate this. So I decided to just talk about Mao. Okay. And like kind of what led up to the, you know, the Communist Party and all of that kind of taking hold in China. And then the next episode, we're going to talk about Deng and uh, some of some of the other Paramount leaders, but primarily like a little bit about him and then a lot about Xi. I think what's gross is my addiction. Like, that's what's gross. Uh, I can understand that. I like smoke it the second I wake up in the morning. Who cares? Right, YOLO. I drink coffee the second I wake up. So what the fuck does anything matter? I just like having a vice. I don't know. We're all going to die. Not me. You're going to live forever? <laughs> You're going to be a tardigrade? I am a I'm vampire. I'm going to turn into a butt-faced piglet. <laughs> Have you ever seen them? No. Well, Jolie's looking something up. I want to say something that I think is very cute and wonderful about Jolie. She was at my house doing her research and she was actually listening to the pronunciations of everyone's. Oh my God, that. <laughs> what the hell? That's a tardigrade, my friend. That is terrifying. Yeah. It's very small though. So you wouldn't see it eating you. It doesn't eat you. It's like a, it eats like. Like bugs. Herbivores. It eats, it's an herbivore of some sort, I think. So it eats plants. Can they be called plants if they're that small? It eats like plantish moss? things. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I guess it's, it's called a moss piglet. Okay. Or a so water bear. Yeah. Well, that thing is disgusting. Yeah. And I hate it. Yeah. It almost looks like lice. It kind of does. I recently looked up what a earthworm's face looks like, and now I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Nobody needs that. Anyway, go well, on. Yeah, so Jolie was actually typing in everybody's Chinese name and listening to the pronunciation, and I thought that was really awesome. What I will tell you right now is that you should not, don't, don't be surprised when I inevitably fuck up somebody's name, even though I listen to the pronunciation. Because I really wanted to get it right. I feel like names are really important and I don't want to like gloss over like yeah, pronunciations. Yeah, for sure. But I also don't speak Chinese. Yeah. So it's Greek to me. <laughs> <laughs> so That's like I will, I will inevitably fuck up, but I'm, I'm trying. Yeah, the effort hard. was there and it was really cool. <laughs> effort like, was there. The execution. Mm. <laughs> A mm. for effort. Yay. China, officially known as the People's Republic of China, with a population of 1.4 billion, is the world's most populous country and the fourth largest country. Being one of the first civilizations in the fertile basin of the Yellow River, it has known times of great economic power and ethnic diversity, as well as times of immense suffering and oppression by occupying forces. Occupying. 
to understand where we're going in this episode, we kind of have to see where we've been. So we're going to cover a little bit of what happened before the Chinese Communist Party's rise to power. There was a specific century where China just could not fucking win. You ever have a day where like you wake up and you're like, nothing ever goes right for you? Like oh, you yeah. put your foot through your leggings like and make a hole <laughs> or you like spill your coffee yeah, on that's your what shirt. I was about to say. They had a century of this shit. That's terrible. And all of it was based around other people just trying to take their shit, right? Lame. So it's not like they didn't do bad shit before that, but they had a century, which they called the century of humiliation. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's bad. Yeah. So the century of humiliation describes a period of over a hundred years where China was on the losing end of almost every war it fought, leading to fragmentation of the nation, unequal treaties with other territories, and leaving the Chinese culture vulnerable to foreign spheres of influence. Chiang Kai-shek, who we'll talk about later, made it his mission to avenge this humiliation by going on the offensive to create unity in China by force, as well as to overcome imperial encroachment. I see the logic, honestly, because while you were saying that, I was like, well, okay, that makes sense. Why yeah, like it's reactionary, but it's also like, listen, we've lost so much territory. People are always fucking us over. Like they were forced to pay reparations to territories that invaded them. Wow. Isn't that fucked up? Yeah, it is. So it's like, they're just defending themselves and territories are like, okay, now you have to pay us because you killed some people. Fuck you, dude. Yeah, no shit there, man. You took our lands. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? But uh, some of the things that are kind of wrapped up in the century of humiliation is defeat in the first opium war by the British, unequal treaties in particular, a lot of stuff related to Japanese encroachment, defeat in the second opium war and the sacking of the old summer palace by British and French forces, the signing of the Treaty of Aigan and the Treaty of Peking during the second opium war, which ceded outer Manchuria to Russia, the partial defeat during the Sino-French war. They basically, at that point, I think might have had control over like what is now known as Vietnam. And then they lost that. Defeat in the first Sino-Japanese War by Japan. The Eight Nation Alliance invasion to suppress the Boxer Uprising and the resulting Boxer Protocol, which imposed reparations <laughs> in excess of the government's annual tax revenue. Wow. The simultaneous Russian invasion of Manchuria and the British expedition to Tibet the 21 demands for an ad advantageous loan and local government control by Japan, the Treaty of Versailles, which put Japan on the the winning side of everything yeah. by like basically everyone saying, oh, okay, yeah, so Germany has this territory in China right now. Japan, you go ahead and take it. <laughs> like, what the fuck? And the, <laughs> like, what the fuck, guys? <laughs> and the Japanese invasion of Manchuria again, and the second Sino-Japanese War. So this time period fragmented the entire country. And the country is huge. So mm -hmm. like warlords started taking over different like areas and, and kind of defending with militia. Definitely there was a lot of like having to work with outside forces because they were still occupying land in China. Yeah. And the monarchy was weakened to the point of being completely ineffective. And all of the Chinese citizens were angry, just angry. Yeah. They felt like makes sense. Like everyone's fucking us over and nobody's doing anything about it. You guys just keep bending over and taking mm -hmm. it. So yeah, everybody was super unhappy. And all of this led to people being like, okay, what's the next solution? What are we going to do from here? Monarchy, not working on our best interests. Everyone's fucking poor. There are, there's a giant peasant class. I think it was something like 80%. Like a big separation between them. Yeah. So there were like 
the very, very wealthy and the fucking dirt poor. And there wasn't much of a middle class. That's really. like kind of where we're headed, man. That's already where we are. Yeah. So let's talk about Mao Zedong. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Because some people say Zedong and some people say Tse, like T-S-E. Hmm. And it's kind of confusing. Like which Maybe it's one- regional or something. Yeah, it could be. So yeah, we're going to talk about him. So he was born December 26th. Not really Christmas. a Christmas baby. And also he's, he was Buddhist, so. But if he was, no gifts. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But he was born in Shaoshan village, Hunan. His father was a one-time peasant who had actually become one of the wealthiest farmers in the village. Mao had three siblings and all of his siblings and him would receive regular beatings from his insane father. Like his father was like a strict disciplinarian. He was not tolerating anything. He was like, it's my way or the highway. But his mom was like this very sweet, very dedicated Buddhist. And she kind of was the soft place. This is like the makings of a narcissist. Yeah. Your father beats you. Your mother never punishes you and like mm-hmm. puts you on a pedestal to compensate. There's no way for a child to get out of that without having some serious personality issues. Yeah. But he would become a Buddhist because of his mother's influence. But he wasn't like a super religious guy. He kind of thought it was superstitious. And, you know, he was more about intellectual pursuits and, you know, kind of figuring out things from that angle. So interesting to me that he's so Buddhist. Well, he was Buddhist at first. So he studied Confucianism in school and he was a Buddhist when he was like young, young. Kind of like, you know, everybody probably has some sort of religion when they're young. It's very rare for people to be raised by atheistic parents. I was raised with religion. Yeah, but you were Jewish. You you celebrated like holidays. Yeah, like high holidays. And then we did, we went to ashrams, like stayed there. I mean, that's kind of the same. So it's like when you're young, you kind of do whatever your parents do. And your parents' word is like absolute, you know? And then you get a little bit older and you're like, "Mm, yeah, but this is bullshit. Or like, "Mm, yeah, that's good for you, but I kind of believe this. Yeah, totally. So that's kind of what he did. Um, So he was very educated as far as the spiritual stuff, but he didn't really like it. He was more into reading politics, military, classical literature. He was like very into more modern things. Yeah. Outside of classic Chinese culture, he was more like looking forward. At age 13, he was informed by his father of an arranged marriage with a 17-year-old daughter of a land-owning family in the same village. So the marriage was meant to pair up their land holdings to allow for a greater building of wealth. That was like absolutely fucking not. So he, he was actually married to this young woman and he left and she apparently was ostracized because of that. And lame. She died in 1910. So at age 13, he would have been, would have been like, yeah, around 1910. So she died like very shortly after. Probably because like at the time, if you were married, your husband was expected to provide for you. Yeah. And so she didn't have anything. He was only 13 and she yeah. was 17. Yeah. Yikes. That is so weird. It sounds weird to us. I can understand that like culturally and like based on the time, it probably made more sense then. Yeah. But yeah, it feels insane to me. Yeah, that he was so much younger. Yeah. But I guess if they needed the land and... That's like essentially wealthy. Uh, They didn't need anything. It was just like a power grab. That's strange. But like you can imagine how his father probably felt about that. (laughs) Probably what, not that he pleased. Left? Oh, yeah. I'm sure he was so pissed. Yeah, because he's already an asshole. His poor brothers probably got whipped. 
Yeah. So he had two brothers and one adopted sister and they probably like bore the brunt of like a lot of abuse at that point. He would become a staunch critic of the, the practice of arranged marriage for a very good reason. Like he was not all for it. And he would go on to have a lot more wives. So don't feel bad for him. Feel bad for her. (laughs) So in 1911. Sorry, but can you imagine getting dumped by a 13 year old? (laughs) The ego blow. (laughs) Having like a a tiny little moronic child dump you. Yeah. Like I can understand you didn't want to marry me, but like, fuck, dude. Yeah. (laughs) Like have acne. Get out of (laughs) here. Gross ass little gremlin. (laughs) So yeah, in 1911, Mao would begin middle school in Changsha, where people were rallying for a revolution and a move from monarchical rule to republicanism. The Republicans figurehead was Sun Yat-san, an American educated Christian who led the Tung Menggu. I am probably mispronouncing that one because I actually didn't look that one up. Uh, (laughs) But it is uh, an underground resistance movement society. And it was like based around trying to create a republic instead of a monarchy. Mao was so impressed by Sun's newspaper, The People's Independence, that he wrote a school essay calling for Sun to become president. As a symbol of rebellion against the Manchu monarch, Mao and a friend cut off their cute pigtails, traditionally worn as a sign of subservience to the emperor. Though he was already, as a very young child, being like, fuck the monarchy, fuck this this system, fuck the man, (laughs) fuck this hair, I'm not interested. Let's talk a little bit about Sun Yat-sen. I don't know a lot about his life because I didn't research it because he's not kind of the point of all of this, but he was an amazing figurehead for like the entire revolution. So the Shinshi revolution, which is we're about to talk about, um, just saw the the overthrowing of the monarch and it was pretty much spearheaded by Sun Yat-sen. His republicanism inspired an army to take over across southern China, beginning the revolution in 1912. So Changsha's governor fled and left the city to republican control. Sun was proclaimed provisional president, and he he didn't want to be president, but he just wanted like a revolution. Yeah. So he was like the temporary president. And a compromise was made to abolish the hereditary monarchy that had ruled for 5,000 years. During this time, Mao joined the rebel army as a private soldier, but he didn't fight in any actual battles. How he old was he now? Like, like a fucking child. 15, yeah. Yeah, so they're like, mm, no thanks. <laughs> no thanks, little man. Not interested. So after Empress Dowager Longyu sealed the imperial abdication decree on behalf of her four-year-old son, Puyi, who is like the last emperor. I don't know if you ever saw that No, movie. I didn't. Oh, wait. Yes, I did. Yeah, so that's him. Yeah. Uh, the Republic of China was formed and Wan Shikai was instated as president. Wan took this as an opportunity to, you know, completely ignore the point of the whole revolution and declare himself emperor because he's a fucking idiot. Oh, my God. Do you think that this lasted after like the violent uprising that had just happened? I hope not. It didn't. (laughs) Um, So this idiotic move fractured what was already a pretty unstable country. That's so lame. Yeah. So a whole bunch of warlords ended up like taking over different territories and being like, well, fuck y'all. You can't even get your shit together. Like this is ours (laughs) now. Yeah, we got this. Like we got this. So facing imminent revolts and a decline in his health, he would abandon the empire in 1916. So that was like a good four years that he had and he just blew it all. He died shortly thereafter at age 56. Shikai's death would cause over a decade of bitter disputes among various warlords vying for control of China. In 1912, Mao resigned from the army after a six-month stint of service. (laughs) (laughs) 
So to be fair, he was a child and the yeah. revolution was basically over and he needed to, you know, go to school or something. Yeah. I don't know. Like, like grow up. Fucking grow up. <laughs> <laughs> so the next few years, he would start and quit several different things. Uh, he started with like police school. He went to a soap making school. He went but- to law school. He went to economic school. And then the he- soap making school is so funny that that's just like thrown in there. Yeah, just like, uh, want to make soap? I'm feeling creative. <laughs> you know what? Lots of white women love making soap. Oh, yeah, that's a thing. I bet his soap would have been amazing if he chose to make it. <laughs> <laughs> but like none of these things really make sense for his personality up to this point. Like, yeah. Super intellectually curious, very into revolution, very into politics. You know, he had seen the peasant class and he he knew it was fucked up. He knew like the way that things were going at this point. It just wasn't sustainable. Yeah. Soap making school, <laughs> not the purest expression <laughs> of his interests. <laughs> Well, they didn't have like Myers-Briggs back then. So yeah, how would he true. How would he even know? How would you know what you're interested in if you don't have a test to tell you? <laughs> <laughs> um, so he ended up at the Changsha Middle School. And middle school is kind of the equivalent of a junior high and high school. So it's like, I think, grade 7 to grade 12. He was still a young person on the verge of adulthood. So he he definitely experimented a lot. But he started studying independently anything that struck his fancy. But politics, sciences, and philosophy were his go-to deep dive topics. And he kind of described himself as like feeling a little too big for his britches in these days. Like he was educated and there were all these workers. And he was like, oh, you're the working class, kind of uneducated. They don't even know how to read. Like, ew. I'm so much better. Like, come on, guys. That kind of sucks because it seems like some of his thoughts around this time are like well-intentioned, you know? Yeah, well, it's like anything. Like you can be well-intentioned, but if you don't have some honesty balancing that all out, Mm -hmm. then it doesn't really matter what your intentions are if you're not willing to look critically at yourself. And because his father was such a fucking cunt of a person, he probably built up this shell of like, no, I'm good. I'm good, guys. Everything's fine. Yeah, and my mommy tells me that's My mommy tells me I'm awesome, so she never lie. Like heartbreaking. It really is heartbreaking. Like if you look at narcissists as like children- Mm-hmm. in adult bodies because that's kind of the way their emotional output works is like mm-hmm. it's all defense all defense all the time but at this time he was like a literal child so yeah that's like can't normal. fault him too much for that but his father was so fucking pissed at him that he cut him off and he ended up like as a child having to just live in a hostel for the destitute so now he's like dirt fucking poor he has a lot of intellectual curiosity that, you know, could be stimulated and like molded to to become something really great. And he is completely cut off from his family. Poor guy. Don't feel too bad for him though, because- Yeah, I know. He's like a total piece of shit. I'm like, oh. No, 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 no. I'm having feelings for him. (laughs) (laughs) So he was inspired by Friedrich Paulsen, a neo-Kantian philosopher and educator whose emphasis on the achievement of a carefully defined goal as the highest value led Mao to believe that the strong individuals were not bound by moral codes, but should strive for a great goal. Hi. Oh, no. Do we see where things are going? Well, then the other thing to remember is that China is fucking huge, man. Mm-hmm. It's really, really vast. And there are people who, despite living in communist China, kind of do their own thing. And, you know, after this, never really experienced the the kind of communist China that we hear about in the news. Yeah. Like that just didn't affect them. Because there are these small villages that are kind of cut off from the rest of China. Yeah, and like borders and stuff. Yeah. 
who is that Li Shijing or whatever? Do you do you ever watch that? I think she's Mm-mm. Chinese, but she is she has a YouTube channel where she just it's all oh, where just she's her like, making things. Yeah, no, it's so cool. It's so yeah. beautiful. And she's so gorgeous. She makes me sick yeah. to my stomach. Her her videos are very soothing and amazing. Yeah, I love watching them. Yeah. Like when I'm really stressed out. Like, I'm just like, I just want to watch you make tofu. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. We're doing a really beautiful thing here. And just like showing how intentional mm-hmm. and how um creative kind of the outskirts like those small villages are yeah. and how like the traditions they carry forward can actually be modernized <laughs> yeah and they make just beautiful things that can last forever totally like they can't go to target to like right. buy a blue blanket so they're everything about to has like to die be a blanket with, blue like, thought yeah and intention and like seeing her with her grandma is just so beautiful yeah like, oh you love each other so much what a wonderful thing Tender. But anyway, enough about Lee. We're not talking about her. She's Mm-mm. wonderful, but we're talking about Nassau. Let's talk about Nassau. <laughs> Let's go back to the dickhead. <laughs> so Mal decided he wanted to become a teacher, and he enrolled in the fourth normal school of Changsha, which is a funny name. Yeah. <laughs> but here he would meet <laughs> Professor Yang Changji, who would have a big impact on him in his life. This guy, Yang, would end up introducing him to new and radical schools of thought via a newspaper called The New Youth. New Youth was the brainchild of Shen Duzio. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Sounded good. So he was a dean of Peking University who argued that China had to cleanse itself of superstition and autocracy to modernize and move forward. And in this time period, Mao would also befriend an older student named Xiao Yixing. <laughs> I'm stupid. You're doing Mao. great. Mao and Xiao would regularly walk the streets begging and writing short poems for food. Wow. It's kind of cute. It is cute. If it wasn't sad. Yeah, it reminds you know, the, me of people from thing. college. Yeah, it it reminds me of like the, um, it's kind of like young hippies who they have money, but they choose to panhandle. Yeah. It's kind of like that. Where you're 100%. just like living in a park. You can go home. Yeah, I had a friend in college like that <laughs> named Sweeney and he always had on like dirty clothes and his apartment was like filled with cockroaches and all he ate was hot dogs and he smelled like disgusting, but he was like cool and a it's poet. Confusing. And I was like, you know, a teen in art school and I'm like, oh, wow, look at this like very dirty Disgusting bohemian. It's yeah. like no. <laughs> yeah, it's like real gr- bohemians would be like, "Ew, clean yourself." Right? You're Watch that turn. They were definitely like poverty stricken, so yeah. they they weren't doing this because it was like fun and like, oh my god, we can like you know live easy this way. Yeah, it's, it's just like, like we can we- write poems. Please feed us, <laughs> please, guys. Yeah, so we're young kids, we're students. So Mal was actually a really popular student. He was very charismatic. He was very well spoken. He had like a lot of drive to create community for himself and for others. Um, he organized the Association for Student Self-Government, publishing articles in New Youth and organizing protests against school rules, which sounds like some real like rock and roll high school yeah. shit to me. Yeah, I like it. But like apparently the school rules were like like based around ideals from the monarchy. Like they yeah. were very like, you are not allowed to be an individual. Like you are going to do things this way. And to a certain degree, I can understand like, you know, if you're teaching people how to be teachers, it's like, well, we want to teach you the way that works. Students around this time and even further into Mao's rule were apparently just very angry with how things worked, especially yeah. within their school systems. Yeah. Well, if there's no, ch- you know, chance to sort of develop who you are, like that yeah. kind of takes part of being educated away. You yeah, know? absolutely. It yeah. makes sense. So I, I think Mao was kind of looking for something that was less individualistic, but at the same time, he kind of fed into the upending old traditions, mm-hmm. which is kind of an interesting dichotomy to me. Yeah, 100%. A lot of this stuff is very interesting. 
during this time, 1917, he began his study of military tactics and he was really into studying World War One because that had like just kind of wrapped up around this time. Uh, as far as I know, I can't remember when exactly. I think it's 1917, 19... I can't help you at all. Like history was my least favorite class. I love history. Followed so. by geography. Like I can barely identify things on a map. <laughs> I have a really hard time with that too. <laughs> He was studying World War One because like he wanted to research military tactics. I yeah. think around this time, he also started studying Sun Tzu, who wrote The Art of War. Yeah. So yeah, that would kind of push him to, uh, him and Xiao to start doing these like feats of endurance and like things like that. Because they wanted to like, they're just like any fucking young guys. They want to be like badasses. Yeah. Like now guys are going to CrossFit. These guys were like, you know, swimming across the river. <laughs> yeah, they're just like, cool, popular guys that organize shit and are badass. Yeah, they're like, yeah, man, I want to show how fucking masculine I am. I'm going to swim across the river. Fuck you. And this is something (laughs) that Mal would do like over and over and over throughout his lifetime until he was like too old and infirm to really do much of anything. swing over the river? To swim over the river. Yeah, to show his might. Okay. (laughs) I got it. It's so weird. It's such a weird display. It's like, you you ain't got to swim across a river to prove that you're okay to like do this job. He does though. But he does. He needs people (laughs) to look at him all the time. So uh, Mao and Xiao would go on to form the Renovation of the People's Study Society in 1918, quickly gaining around 80 members who would later join the Communist Party. Mao graduated in 1919 and then he moved to Beijing to be closer to his mentor Yang who had taken a new job at Peking University. So Yang was just floored by Mao. He thought he was so handsome, so well-spoken, so well-educated. He thought he had like a lot of drive. He he wanted to kind of foster that. He was like his mentor. So he got him a job as a librarian's assistant with Li Dezhao. Dezhao. <laughs> you should just like block all of them out and have like I know, I'm probably, probably going to do that. <laughs> It's going to take forever, but I think it's worth it. Around this time, ideologies such as Marxism and anarchism gained a lot of traction in intellectual circles. Mm -hmm. So there were a lot of Chinese anarchists who thought there was nothing to save of China. They wanted to completely overhaul everything, including like culturally, socially organizations. They wanted women's rights. Like they were really fighting for mass change. And they thought there is no way we can save any portion Mm -hmm. of what we have now. So even though there was no dynasty anymore... They were like, this is still not working. Mm-hmm. Everything has to stop. New youth articles inspired by the Bolshevik Re- Revolution, which was happening around that time, and Marxist theory written by Lee would be the turning point in the radical movement. So people stopped moving to anarchism, which had been like the answer up to that point. And they started moving more towards Marxism, communism, all of that. Chen Dezhou and Lee believe that the October Revolution, which saw the violent overthrow of Tsar Nicholas II, uh, would be a sign of a new and just era for oppressed people of the world. So they were like, fuck yeah, work there. Let's do it here, dude. <sighs> Study circles were established to lay out the rudiments of the budding Communist Party during a new cultural movement that was widely critical of classical Chinese ideology and sought to create a new and modern Chinese culture through science, technology, and Western ideals. So remember, Sun Yat-sen was American-educated. He was very much about modernizing. And Mm -hmm. Sun Yat-sen is actually considered a kind of like an honorary member of the Communist Party, even though he wasn't. He was more like a moderate. Yeah. He was like, I want things to be different. Not all about the communism. (laughs) Yeah. But like, I, I share a lot of your ideals. And sort of like opened others' eyes to He was to like it, a socialist. Or... 
He was less of a communist and more of a socialist. Like he wanted people to be taken care of. I love the idea of socialism. Yeah. I don't think anybody should have to work to eat. Yeah, me neither. Everybody has plenty. And we we could all probably have like a little less to give the people who don't have anything something. Yeah. There's just no need. There's no need for rich people, but there's also just no need for people to ever be hungry. So if we have to have rich people, but nobody has to be hungry because we're taxing those rich people, then fine. Whatever. We're still going to be stupid fucking rich. Who cares? Right. But everybody's eating. And then it's like, I don't know. I loved getting unemployment in the pandemic. I always talk about it. This is what's all. I mean, you should, I feel like just having people have all the things that they need makes sense. It doesn't make sense for anyone to ever be hungry. Yeah. And to feel supported and safe. Yeah. And then at that point, everything will go better because people can be with their children. Mm -hmm. People can have children if they want them. People cannot have children if they don't want them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that benefits everybody because people who are raising children well will see less crime. Mm -hmm. They'll see more education. They'll see more people working and doing a really good job. Yeah. If mom and dad aren't at work because they have four jobs or whatever, kids are more taken care of. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's it's just insane. But uh, anyway, back to China. So at this time, Mao was living on very little money and he was regularly ostracized by other students for apparently his Hunanese accent and the fact that he came from like a more peasant or rural rural area. Yeah. Rural. That's a hard word to say. That's harder than <laughs> that's like any on, of these Chinese names. Rock, it's like the rural. Rural, rural, rural. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> he definitely wasn't all about being ostracized, but he still like kept pushing forward. He joined the university's philosophy and journalism societies and continued to attend lectures until 1919 when he moved to Shanghai. So he would never end up returning home and his mother and father both died while he was gone. So his mother died in 1919 and his father died like a year later. Sad. Yeah, it's really sad. Probably not about his dad, but you know. I don't know. I'm probably still sad about it. Well, yeah, you never get any like resolution at that yeah. point. So let's talk about the new culture and political protests that were happening around this time. So 1919 to 1920. So students in Beijing in 1919 gathered at the Tiananmen Square to protest Chinese government's weak resistance to Japanese expansion. People were just outraged. They they thought that a lot of the people who were kind of in power at that point, because remember, it's not a monarchy anymore, but there was like kind of a weak leadership after the revolution. They thought that those people were complicit in the fact that nothing was better. Yeah. They were not fucking happy. So this kind of pushed forward the May 4th movement, which blamed China's diplomatic defeats on social and cultural backwardsness. They're looking at everything saying, you know, we had the first revolution. I thought things were going to get better and Mm -hmm. everything's the fucking same. Like we're still being humiliated. We're still being like pushed aside. We're not getting better. Like people are still starving. Yeah. There are still warlords Mm -hmm. who aren't, who aren't like, you know, participating in like the new wave yeah, of like solve pushing the problem. Forward, like solve the problem or get the fuck out of the way. Yeah. So in Changsha, Mao had begun teaching history at a primary school and organizing protests. So he was organizing these protests against a governor of the Hunan province. So in late May, he founded the Hunanese Student Association and he organized a student strike for June and July. So at that point, he would begin a radical magazine and really start like writing and kind of like pushing forward this new agenda. He's like, communism, let's fucking go. You know, but even communism on paper is like... Yeah, it sounds great. Yeah. Until you like start trying to implement it with people who are who are people. But yeah, exactly. Humans. How do you not become like a total monster when you're in charge like that? 
there's fucking no way. Yeah. It's just and like, honestly, if you're pushing like this, you will become a monster anyway. Mm-hmm. Like it's kind of impossible to be in that kind of position of power without being at least a little bit of a narcissist, if not a lot of bit of a narcissist or maybe even a sociopath. Yeah. Like, I don't feel like there's a way to win at something like this without having like some empathy deficits. Yeah. Or seeing everything as sort of like a playbook or something and not yeah. real. Like it's a game. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes totally. sense. Like based on all these things he's interested in. Absolutely. So it's like moving chess pieces. Yeah. And not like, oh, I'm destroying lives. <laughs> Ugh. So he advocated for a need for a great union of the popular masses. What does that sound like? Strengthen trade unions. And he basically made nonviolent revolution. He was like thinking that that could be possible. It's not really, but whatever. It's a nice idea. His ideas at this time weren't like actual Marxism, but they were pretty fucking close. They were about as close as he could get without being a Marxist. But again, know? they seem well-intentioned right now. Yeah, they're well-intentioned right now. And But remember around this time, he said that he was kind of like an uppity asshole. Mm-hmm. So, and he did do like a lot of great things. Like he did push for, you know, mass literacy mm-hmm. and all of all of these amazing things. You know, they say that he was a feminist. He really wasn't. He was an asshole. But maybe for the time. I don't know. Uh, I think he was a somewhat feminist because it made sense to say that he was a feminist. I think he said he was a feminist or he touted feminist ideals because at the time, that's what a lot of the popular intellectuals were saying. They were saying, you know, we need feminism or we need at least people, women to have more rights. Yeah. And he was like, well, that's that's an opinion that a lot of people have. I should have that opinion. I too. have it too. Yeah. Yeah. Feminism. He was he was kind of awful about women. He actually offered to send ten thousand women to America, I think. Like to get rid of them or as like a kind gesture. Yeah. It was weird. That one was weird. I actually didn't understand the fucking point of it. We'll talk about it later, but it was just like a weird like for what, man? I think it was Eisenhower who he was like trying to like send them. Like, yeah, you can have them. That's weird. I don't I even know. understand. It's fucking bizarre. His student association was banned by that awful governor, but Mao continued publishing the magazine, The New Hunan, and offered articles in popular newspapers, several of them advocating feminist views, calling for the liberation of women in Chinese society. He helped organize a general strike in Hunan. So that was kind of like his background. And that's what like led up to him kind of in this like new forming Mm -hmm. communist party, like not yet communist party. That's what kind of led people to say, oh, okay, he's a great leader. Yeah. Because he is. Yeah, I get it. You know, it's like the chain of events makes sense. Around this time, Mao hadn't actually met Chen Dizhu or Dushu. He, at this time, actually ended up meeting him. He was like doing all this stuff. He finally meets this guy, Chen. And he noted that Chen's adoption of Marxism deeply impressed me at what was probably a critical period in my life. So Chen was like, the person that said this is a thing and this is the way and Mao was like fuck yeah oh. yeah <laughs> Mao met, met an old teacher of his Yi Peiji a revolutionary and member of the Kuomintang or Chinese Nationalist Party so we're going to talk a lot about Kuomintang because they essentially took over everything before the Chinese Communist Party was really like a, a big a, a big social movement mm-hmm. He introduced Mao to General Tan Yankai, a senior KMT, and that's that's how they say it, KMT member who held the loyalty of troops stationed along the Hunanese border. And he was planning to overthrow this like awful governor that everybody was rebelling against and that like Mao had specifically organized a whole bunch of protests against. 
So him and Mao organized the Changsha students to essentially just take over that area. And like I said, the Changsha students were angry. Yeah. They were ready to get riled. You know? I love it. Angry students do a lot of stuff. Oh, hell yeah. Like the youngest history. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, that's the time when you're the most like, yeah, man, I can fucking fight. I'm uh-huh. going to fucking take over the world. Yeah. Because you're you like no foresight. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't developed. It's like, it's when you feel the most creative and you are the most out of control. Yeah. He led them in and the governor just fled. He was like, ah, oh, fuck <laughs> this. <laughs> hell no. The youths. The youths are coming. Get them out. <laughs> So Mao was appointed headmaster of the junior section of the first normal school, you know, taking over what was the governor's position. And now he had a very large income and he married the daughter of uh, Yang from his previous school, the one that he followed from to, to Peking. Okay. He loved his mentor so much that he married his daughter. Wife number two. Wife number two. But his like chosen wife number one. Aw. Kind of different. It is. Um, So the Chinese Communist Party was founded at this time. So the Chinese Communist Party was founded by Chen Dezhu and Li Dezhou in the French concession of Shanghai in 1921 as a study society at first, an informal network. Mao set up a Changsha branch and he established a branch of the Socialist Youth Corps and a cultural book society, which opened a bookstore to propagate revolutionary literature throughout Hunan. He was like, yeah, let's fucking keep it Mm -hmm. going. Come on. I think this was around the time where he started like setting up things to help people learn to read. I could be wrong. It could be like a little bit later, but he he did actually do this. This (laughs) He like set up bookstores and was like, fuck, nobody can read. Uh, (laughs) Shit. How am I going to like get my fucking shit out there? How am I going to write and have people read it if nobody could fucking read? Yeah. So yeah, it could have been as simple as like, nobody can read my shit. I Mm -hmm. need attention. (laughs) Please. He also wanted to organize a Hunanese constitution to assure that people would have more civil liberties, which is obviously a great thing. Mm -hmm. But the civil liberties would make his revolutionary actions easier to accommodate. Mm. So, you know. So by 1921, small Marxist groups were kind of all over the place, but they were all informally kind of guided by the things that Mao and his friends were putting together and like releasing through these like newspapers or like I keep wanting to call them zines. They're not <laughs> zines. That wasn't a thing. <laughs> they could. I mean. They're zines. They had like cutouts of like kittens and stuff. Uh-huh. And, like favorite bands. <laughs> <laughs> the first session of the National Congress of the Chinese Communist Party was in 1921. And apparently the Kuomintang sent people to spy on it to try to kind of infiltrate, figure out what their plans were. Kuomintang at this time seemed like a really good organization because Sun Yat-sen was a great man. Mm-hmm. Like he, I'm sure he had his flaws. I didn't study as much into him and like what his issues were, but he's across the board. Everybody thinks he's amazing. Yeah. So I'm going to trust their opinion of it. But yeah, there was a lot of corruption, just like any society mm-hmm. or any, any movement will end up having corruption. And there was a lot of corruption in the Kuomintang. Despite wanting to balance out the classes a little bit more, they were still okay with being bourgeois. Mm. So apparently they had started trying to get kind of opinions from Lenin on what they should be doing. And Lenin advised people to accept a temporary alliance between the communists and the bourgeois Democrats or the nationalists, the Kuomintang, who also advocated national revolutions. So... The Kuomintang wanted, wanted like a bigger national revolution to like completely reorganize, strip warlords of their rights or strip warlords of their like territories and yeah. like, you know, get everything together. 
the Chinese Communist Party wanted the same thing. So it just made sense for them to work together. Yeah. Um, Is this like the beginning of the end? Kind of. Yeah. (laughs) But instead they stuck to like the Orthodox Marxism, which is just like only the urban proletariat could lead a socialist revolution. So they didn't want to work with anybody else. They wanted to do it themselves. They didn't Mm. want the Kuomintang involved because they were the bourgeoisie. Yeah. Like they're not interested. So Mao at this time was the party secretary and he was in Hunan, stationed in Changsha. He did a lot of different things. So this is the time when he would do the self-study university. And I think this is when he started to push for literacy so that he could, again, push this propaganda out. I mean, even if it's right, it's still kind of propaganda because you're framing it as the only way to do something. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He joined the YMCA mass education movements and he edited textbooks to include radical sentiments, which I kind of like. Yeah, right. I'm kind of okay with that. They wanted to organize minors to like kind of aid in the revolution. They also wanted to organize all the students. They wanted to organize as many people as they possibly could. And this was a constant thing with Mal. He, He wanted as many people as he could to fight the good fight. And he would always talk about how, like, even if they lost half their people, they'd still have, like, millions of people left. Like, that was his, like, fallback is how many people China had. Who were, like, just, what, totally expendable? It's like, yeah, I get the sentiment, but, like, geez. I get that he's, like, okay, a little suffering now for a payoff later, but fuck that. Right, like, just don't say it out loud. So in 1923, soon... And Soviet representatives would agree to Soviets providing aid to China's unification with the agreement that the Soviet system was not going to work in China. So this is when the Soviet Union would start kind of helping with things. The Soviet Union offered training to Chiang Kai-shek, who is the guy that we mentioned at the very beginning. Yeah. And when he returned, he created a military academy. And that's when their military efforts started to really modernize. Um, And Kai-shek would be the head of it, teaching materials. Everything was organized by Mm -hmm. him. There were also munitions that were given at this time. So the the Kuomintang had a a very efficient and like amazing military unit at this time because it was like the most modern any Chinese government had had before. Okay, we're we're 1923 now? Yeah, 1923. Sorry if my face is like vacant, but this is a lot of information. So I'm trying to like... It really is. Really... (laughs) follow you know and not like glaze over yeah so basically the soviet got involved and like was supporting the kuomintang but they low-key thought that the ccp the chinese communist party was going to take over pretty soon so they were like listen we're we're gonna help these people now but we know that these people are gonna end up in power and even the american government who kind of got involved in all this also said mal was a dedicated leader the chinese Mm -hmm. communist party was gonna be like where it was at they thought that they had like the most organized thoughts around like how they were going to lead the country. The KMT at this time was just like floundering. Yeah. Sun Yat-sen was like amazing, but the KMT in general was just not. Well, and I get it. Work. It's like this, this like mass organization and like these new thoughts and dedication and like uprising is like appealing, yeah. you know, kind of like this is dope. Like everything's yeah. going to be different. Nobody knew. Exactly. Yeah. So following Sun's death in 1925, he was succeeded by Chiang Kai-shek who we had talked about before. And Chiang Kai-shek was like, okay, so now I don't have to toe the party line because Sun isn't here to keep me balanced. Yeah. I'm going to kill every communist I possibly can. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So Chiang led a successful military expedition to overthrow the remaining warlords in the North. But when he came back, he went to Shanghai, which was controlled by the CCP. 
And they were like, oh, cool, dudes, come on in. And he fucking killed all of them. Oh, man. 5,000 communists were killed in that massacre. Damn. Yeah, he was not fucking around. Li Dezhou was killed alongside 19 other leading communists in Beijing, as well as hundreds of peasant militiamen. That made tens of thousands of communists and sympathizers were killed by nationalists, with the CCP losing 15,000 of their 25,000 members. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of people. So despite all this, the CCP was like, come on, guys, can we just be chill? Yeah. Like, like, please. They continued to try to work with them, but they were expelled by 1927. And at this point, you know, Mao started organizing, Mao and the the other leaders started organizing the Red Army, which is like the the former militiamen. But now they were like, okay, we got to get real serious about this because this like peasant militia is not going to work for us. Yeah. Mao was appointed the commander in chief and there were a couple of failed attempts to, you know, promote uprising in these major metropolitan areas. But one of these in particular would be detrimental to Mao's reputation because he was accused of basically um, sabotaging the attempt in favor of trying to work with somebody on the KMT side, I think, was Mm. the issue. Who the fuck knows what actually happened? But he was ousted from command and ousted from the CCP. He went back to Hunan and he was trying to organize people there just kind of on his own. You know, he, he got together enough people. He like organized enough of a like militia to try to spark a peasant uprising But the KMT immediately like put the kibosh on that so he would retreat as he was wandering along with his, you know, military, whatever it was at that point. He actually ran into Lin Biao and Zhu Di, other like Communist Party people, while wandering the countryside. So they organized all together and kind of set up political departments so the second Sino-Japanese war would start around this time and both sides, the KMT and the CCP would say, we got to like get together yeah. and stop this shit because we're all going to lose. Mm-hmm. So they did get together. They won. Yay. <laughs> Woo! But I did want to talk about Ping Duhai because it will come up later. Ping Duhai was a prominent military leader in the CCP and he played a critical role in blocking Chang's efforts to capture multiple cities as well as supporting the rise of Mao and efforts to unite CCP and KMT against Japanese invasions. So Mao would become the chairman of the CCP in 1945, the same year the Japanese surrendered. And the establishment of Roosevelt's Big Four Peace Council in the aftermath of the war would actually put China on like the big view of yeah. like all the other nations. Okay, so we have fast forwarded like 15 years. Yeah, so this okay. happened over a long period of time. Okay. Like it, it's like a lot of wars or a yeah. lot of skirmishes and then it ends yeah. around this time. Okay. And there's a lot that I'm just not going to be able to get into because like there is just no fucking way. There's, it's too much. Yeah. The big four is East Asia and Western Pacific is China. There's a United Kingdom, United States and the Soviet Union. They were like, listen, let's all keep our shit in check. Make Mm -hmm. sure you're like keeping people in order. That Mm -hmm. way there's not another world war. So this was kind of big because it really put China on the big world stage. And it opened up a lot of doors for China to just start talking to other diplomats, leaders of like the international, you know, of the international persuasion. With the aid of the Soviet Union and a few mysterious deaths among KMT leaders, the CCP was actually able to take over everything. And the collapse of the KMT happened in 1945. Mao declared the establishment of the People's Republic of China in that same time. Chiaoman Mayor's... Chiaoman Mayor's? 
Chairman Mao's rule started in 1949. The CCP takeover would mandate the redistribution of privately owned land, as you do. Yeah. But what happened here was in a lot of these like smaller areas, wealthy landlords would be rounded up, publicly humiliated and executed. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I can understand like people were angry and like people had been working in, in unstable conditions for so long that they were like, fuck you. Yeah. But like it didn't have to go like that. Mm-hmm. So anyway, all of this land was redistributed. These peasants who had had really hard lives were able to sustain themselves. They were able to eat. They were able to, you know, have a little extra. And they were actually really happy. Chairman Mao at this time was almost like celebrated as a god of the harvest. So every harvest that they had, they would celebrate with like a picture of Chairman Mao. And they would like just eat and celebrate. And it was like a big fucking deal. Yeah. Remember Peng Dohai? Yeah. So Peng was interested in creating a more professional army. He wanted it to be more technical and modern, but he also wanted the army to not be tied to the political side. He wanted the army to work on its own as a kind of like independent unit. Yeah. That was, well, it wasn't like that. It was like he didn't want someone to control an army saying like, I don't like this. Mm, okay. I get he it. wanted it to be like, no, we have our own checks and balances. Mm-hmm. Like, let's do this the right way. Mao is not all about that. Mao actually wanted to be able to control everything. So even though the Communist Party is set up to have like people kind of be president of different areas or like leaders of different areas, Mao wanted the final say to be his. He was like president, president. He's like, I'm paramount leader. And that means I'm like, you're kind of leader, but I'm leader, leader. Yeah. But Peng had like, he had saved his life. He had been his like biggest hype man. And Mao just started treating him like shit and like subtly humiliating him in public and like telling people that he was an asshole. Not really like an asshole, but you know. And like whatever you would say in the late 40s. Just kind of like (laughs) dismissing him. Yeah. Mao would visit Russia in just kind of like an effort to figure out what China should do as far as like organizing their government. And Stalin, it was like another humiliation. He made him wait two days before taking the meeting. And he was like, it should be a one party system. Mao would later push for a multi-party system, but then subtly like devalue all the other parties and like Mm. make it impossible for them to actually do what they were supposed to do. Yeah, it was like a facade. Yeah, it was was a total facade. So the death of Stalin in 1953 saw a huge shift in the way that the Soviets would talk about Stalin. So Stalin Mm -hmm. before was like a great leader, amazing man. Wow, what a guy. And then after they were like, he's a fucking lunatic. He fucking sucked, guys. Like, let's not do this ever again. I mean, what a relief to be able to speak about it, I'm sure. Right. But Mao was like an ass kisser of Stalin. Mao loved Stalin. Mm. So at this point in China, people are looking at Mao like, are you an idiot too? Like, maybe we don't trust you. If you're Uh, like such a big hype man and we're seeing what Stalin did. Yeah. And you're saying you know everything. Yeah. You must be an asshole. Yeah. Cause for alarm. (laughs) Yeah. So Stalinism began to lose its luster and more and more information came out and Mao was not looking good. Right. So he had to like get some stuff started so that he could kind of bolster his reputation among the Chinese. Um, So he decided to do the Hundred Flowers campaign. Sounds great, right? Like a hundred flowers. How beautiful. Fancy. He said he wanted people's opinions on what China should do moving forward, on what China had done so far. And he was like, yes, send me all of your opinions. I am willing to hear constructive criticism. Oh my God. Did he kill everybody? (laughs) He did. Yeah, He sure did. So millions of letters came in, lots of them from intellectuals and people like teachers, things of that nature, who are not fucking happy with him. And 
all of a sudden he's like, never mind, I don't want letters anymore. And if you sent one, I'm killing you. <laughs> Hundred Flowers campaign. People send in lots of constructive criticism. A lot of it is about him. A lot of it is about how they handled the KMT. A lot of it is about how they ass kissed with Stalin and the Soviet, the Soviets in general. Yeah. A lot of it is about how um, they seem to be taking like a more Western approach to Chinese social issues. You don't have to throw out everything. It's fucking insane. Yeah. Like people deserve to have like their culture and their way of life sustained. Yeah. So some people say that he meant it like in good faith. But that once he started seeing responses, he yeah. was like, oh, shit. you're trolls. Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. I do. Not like killing everybody, but yeah. why he'd feel that way. Yeah. But then other people, other people say that people expressed concerns about the living conditions in China because people were still like dirt poor and mm -hmm. living conditions were still bad for most people. And they called out the corruption of CCP members, saying that party members enjoyed many privileges, which make them a race apart. And that is 100% true. Yeah. Party members were having giant balls. They were like celebrating. They were eating well. They were drinking. They were like taking flights everywhere. Yeah. They, were, they were living like high on the hog. I don't know if people say that anymore, but it, it really was a thing. It's, <laughs> And they, they would continue throughout the entire, throughout Mao's entire reign, like party members were treated like royalty. Yeah. So they weren't royalty. They didn't call themselves royalty. They were like celebs. Yeah, but they certainly acted like royalty. So no, there wasn't a monarchy, but yes, there were people who controlled all of the money mm -hmm. and lived very good lifestyles. Same, same, but different. <laughs> so Harry Wu, who was a teenage victim of this campaign, later wrote that he could only assume that Mao never meant what he said, that he was setting a trap for millions. 50,000 dissenters, mostly teachers and intellectuals, would be sent to re-education centers, labor camps. Where they just like abused them. Yeah, most of them died. Well, and how contrary to his earlier, you know, his earlier um, intellectual yeah, like mission or whatever. Right. Like you. So I love intellectuals unless you have a, an opinion that's different. Yeah. Like, different God damn from it. Me. Why did I educate you? Yeah. Or unless you have a bad opinion of me. It's not even like you can have opinions that are different from mine at this point anyway. But I don't want you to ever say anything bad about me or what I've done. Yeah. Mao ordered violent repression. The slightest wrong word could be fatal. Between 500,000 and 1 million people, mostly teachers, were labelled as rightists and deported to forced labour camps where many died of starvation. 3,000 of these dissidents were sent to the Jaibiango labour camp on the edge of the Gobi Desert, a so-called re-education camp. How many people died? People said the total was 70%. At the time, there were pits everywhere. The pits, the shallow, dead pits. They were filled with dead bodies. There were pits along the sandy bank. The bodies were just covered with sand. That's how they were buried. But soon afterwards, the bones were all exposed. So the most notorious of these camps was the Jaibanju labor camp, which was a center originally designed to hold a maximum of 50 prisoners with like a little plot of land with just enough property to sustain a crop. 
for 50 prisoners. 2,500 of its 3,000 prisoners would die in this camp. Oh, God. Yeah. They died from starvation, illness, and freezing temperatures because it was in the Gobi Desert. Surviving inmates spoke of being forced to eat the leaves and bark from trees, worms, human and animal excrement, and the bodies of other dead inmates to survive. Oh, man. No. So why the hell is Chairman Mao on t-shirts and stuff? Oh, we'll get to that. Okay. Next episode. Oh, guys, we decided this is going to be a two-parter on Mal because Jesus Christ, it's just a lot. It's of, a lot of info. But it's a lot of stuff. I kind of like it, though, like a long-term story, you know? You're like, Yeah, absolutely. You know? I think it's really interesting. I do, too, and it's a lot of information to absorb. Yeah, it's still not even half. I'm not even going to be able to cover half of the shit that he did. Wow. It's just not possible. It's yeah. too much. The inmates at this labor camp were often too weak to even bury the dead. So they would just drag them to the dunes. This is so upsetting. It gets so much fucking worse. I'm so sorry. The next episode, you're going to probably cry. I should call it. Why the fuck is he on t-shirts though? But why the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) So when the camps were finally closed, the atrocities were covered up and doctors were hired to create fake medical forms for every inmate who died. Oh, classic. The forms would give various reasons for cause of death, none of them being starvation. So those who weren't sent to labor camps were harassed so mercilessly, so publicly, and for so long that they regularly would commit suicide by jumping off of buildings. So people in cities... Stopped walking on the sidewalk because it was such a commonplace occurrence for people to jump from the roof to kill themselves that they didn't want to be offed by a suicide. Yeah. I mean, a person hitting you from that high up. Jesus Christ. Yeah. You'd be like, you'd like shoot through the ground. It's just insanity, man. And then the other thing that he did around this time was send anyone who had previously been a part of the opium crisis Mm -hmm. to these labor camps. So anyone who was addicted, anyone who sold opium, anyone who had opium dens, like these were all people who went to these re-education centers. Thousands upon thousands of people died. Honestly, there's not even a way to fully estimate like how many people died in this specific campaign in this hundred flowers campaign because they covered the flowers though i think it had something to do with like an old chinese poem or saying or it was like okay the flowers were like you know all this information and like collaboration kind of thing i could be making that up i didn't research that aspect (laughs) i like glossed over it and i was like ah shit what is this shit yeah this is pretty horrifying and disgusting like it was probably somebody's job to like sweep bodies off the street. I mean, can you imagine living in this time where like you can't say anything because people are going to kill you. And if they don't kill you, they're going to make you want to die. Yeah. So around this time, they would also start these struggle sessions. And a lot of these struggle sessions were led by angry students. So angry students would round up people, mostly their teachers or like intellectuals, and they would shave their head. They would ostracize them. They would humiliate them. Wow. Yeah. So those are called struggle sessions and that comes in later. So, so and that's the know. opposing side. Yeah. That's the anyone who said no, Mr. Mao, you're being a dick. That's, the students that's would like kill. Yeah. And okay. Mao was like deeply connected to the the students at this time still because, you yeah. know, he was like the revolutionary. Like, yeah, totally. It was still close enough to the time that he like organized that kind of stuff for him to be kind of like a almost a mythical, like larger than life figure. He started thinking of ways that he could industrialize China. And show off to, uh, I said daddy, Soviet Union as daddy. (laughs) 
<laughs> he wanted daddy to love him. Whatever daddy says. Daddy, please. Dudes can have daddy issues too, guys. Mm-hmm. So despite having no real stake in the steel industry, Mal declared he would outproduce the United Kingdom within the 15-year time span that Khrushchev, who took over after Stalin, said that he would beat USA in, I want to say he said like industrial something or another. Like, I can't remember what Khrushchev was going for. But Mal was like, yeah, me too, guys. Me too. I'm going to do it too. You you watch me. <laughs> it's on. So 100 million peasants were recruited to work on roads, railways, canals, and various other building projects without use of any major machinery, often with their bare hands. The motto was hard work for a few years, happiness for a thousand. Hmm. So another aspect of the CCP shit show that I'll talk about before we close and you can hear the rest of it next episode is because Mao was too busy measuring his dick against cruise chests <laughs> to hire professionals to figure out how to increase China's agricultural production. He decided that the cause of the unimpressive yields was the sparrows. As sparrows eat approximately four pounds of grain seed per bird per year, they were put on a four pest list alongside rats, mosquitoes, and flies. He rallied people to actively destroy nests, shoot down birds, and shoo away the sparrows, not letting them land in their nests or anywhere nearby. By April 1960, Chinese leaders changed their opinion, in part due to the influence of ornithologist So Sin Cheng, who pointed out that sparrows ate a large number of insects as well as grains. But by the time that happened... The damage was already done. Like grains were overtaken. They had already started doing like weird and untested agricultural stuff. Oh, geez. Just like, hey, why don't we try this form of getting water to the crops? Hey, why don't we try this? Everything's just like dying. Yeah, oh my so, God. No. You know, and there was a lot of like weather shit that was happening at this time too. So yeah. it's just like they took a situation that was already going to be difficult and they made it worse. So they completely upended the ecological balance. Oy so now they. that the sparrows were gone. Mal could focus on industrializing the agrarian communities. Like, the, I get it. It's like, you know, on paper, this is sort of like, yeah, let's get rid of the sparrows. But then like doing it, there's like a lot more to it. Thousands of sparrows died. And like locusts took over, like bugs took over. And people oh, were like, oh, no. But what is happening though? Why, guys? I don't understand. Yeah. It's like, because you killed all the fucking birds, you morons. Oh, my God. And it wasn't like the, the Chinese, the farmers were like, no. Yeah. But they had to do it anyway. Yeah. And the farmers also, like the people who were actually experienced in farming, were often sent to do other jobs that they had no experience in. So all these people who had no experience in farming were making decisions when they didn't know what the fuck they were talking about. And yeah. then people who were farmers were sent to like build train tracks with their bare hands. It's insanity. Yeah. Like when you give a tool to a person and say, what do you think this does? <laughs> Let's see. Like, who, yeah. who the fuck knows? If you've never seen it before, if you've never used it, if you've mm -hmm. never, like, done this kind of work, then, of course, you're not going to fucking know what you're doing. Yeah. But Mao and the CCP just didn't care. They wanted grain production up so that they could pay Khrushchev and the Soviet Union to build factories, but they were going to pay them partially in steel and partially in grain. Oh, my God. And they wanted to just be a fucking superpower. They didn't care how they got there. So that's where we're going to leave you today. Because the next part is so fucking upsetting. Okay. So I'll fucking get ready. upsetting that like I cried several times. Oh shit. Well, yeah, maybe it's I real shouldn't wear, bad. Maybe I should wear um, waterproof mascara. What I'm what I plan to do is provide you with two tissues that you can tape to your face <laughs> and uh, a fan that you can blow into your eyes. Perfect. 
as bad as it is, it's going to get so much worse. So I am deeply sorry. I'm looking forward to it. I'm still like absorbing everything. It's a lot. It's a lot. And we'll do like a small recap. But like, yeah, this gets you to the point where like the information becomes so devastating that you just don't know what to do with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Because this is already bad. And then and then he's like, oh, you thought that was bad. Somebody who has so much power and control. It's like when things start to get kind of out of control, it's like this frenzy to you know, yeah. maintain face. Yeah. And with him, it's all about ego. All of it. Oh, you know what? I forgot to tell you something. So um, his first wife died of dysentery. Real sad. She had kids. But because he was in the middle of the revolution, kids got sent off to live with other people because he was dangerous. Like it was dangerous to be around him. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Because he's have children. Because like, yeah. he's a target. Then his next wife ended up being a woman who kind of, I guess she went along with him, but she got shrapnel in her head. So before he got into power, he actually met a lovely Chinese actress who we'll talk about next time. He met her and he was like, hmm. So he sent his wife to a mental asylum in Russia. Oi. You know, she had shrapnel in her head. Maybe she actually did go crazy. Yeah. But... I just have a difficult time after all of this. Thinking and then that, like getting the young, pretty actress wife. Yeah. Ship her off. Yeah. So that is the story of the first part of Mao Zedong and the Chinese Communist Party. The second part will get more upsetting and I apologize in advance, but okay. this is where we're at. I'm here for it. All right. You have been listening to I Read a Thing. We appreciate your continued patronage mm-hmm. and uh, we will not make you kill birds. That nope. is our guarantee to you. You can find out more about us on iReadAthing.com where we post show notes and things of that nature. I haven't been great about it lately because I've been just a little bit busy, but I am going to get better about it. I promise you. That is my promise to you. (laughs) And uh, we'll see how that works out for you. (laughs) You can also find us on social media at either iReadAthing or iReadAthing Podcast. It depends on if someone already had our name because people... People don't saw us coming, I guess. <laughs> They're like, mm, They're going to be the next two. big thing. They're going to be the next, like, small thing. <laughs> but yeah, that's all we got for you today. And we'll see you next round with Mal Part 2. Woo! Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> it's going to be depressing. I'm looking forward to it. I don't know. Well, if you want a good cry. Always. All right, you guys. See you next time. Bye. Bye.